Welcome back to the podcast, Conversation with Jeff Bucknam. Jeff Bucknam is the lead teaching pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicagoland, and I'm your host, Tommy Kreitz, and we are going to have a conversation with someone from our church today because we believe that everyone has a story, and before we get into that, though, we're going to talk about some other stuff that we find interesting and by we, you mean you. Yeah. Yeah. I just, <laughs> that's what I do is I just sit you all show up week. And you're like, yeah. I've, I've got a list. Yeah. I'm thinking about it all week. Like what can we talk about on the podcast? And by all week, you mean on the way up the stairs. Yeah, exactly. All right, Tommy. What can I write in my notes on my phone? What are we talking about in today? 30 seconds? Well, we got to, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in, in the world. Um, mainly the, the first thing that comes to mind that's coming up, but will be passed when this uh, podcast comes out as a Super Bowl. Ooh, we should do a prediction so that pretty, everybody will pretty, be able to yeah. tell which one, who we think. Well, who do you think? I'm going to go with the Eagles on this. You are. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I think that they, I think that they, uh, huh. I think the Eagles are good for it. I think the Chiefs are, meh. You don't think so? No, are you a Chiefs guy? Uh, well, you know, no. I'm a, I gotta be honest, these two teams don't really inspire a lot of excitement in me. No, me, well, Patrick, Patrick, Mahone, like he's, you know, this is a big deal. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to predict who you got. I would say the chiefs. Okay. So I yeah. want you to predict something crazy that would happen in okay. this game. Cause people will listen to this after the fact mm -hmm. and let's see which see which one okay. of us is a prophet. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hold on. I got it. I got it. Okay. I, I'm going to predict. I need to listen right I'm now. I'm going to predict that Patrick Mahomes left leg falls off. Like absolutely just off. It's off? just off. Yeah. Not even just broken. That's my off. prediction. Wow. It's just gonna be hangling hanging from his hip. <laughs> it's such an if off. that happens, I'm gonna be <laughs> That's such an off. Okay, um, your turn. Okay. There's going to be an actual uh there's going to be an actual eagle hmm. at the stadium. Oh, not part of the show. Not part of the anyway. show. Not the part of the show. You mean like from the heavens, the from eagle the heavens. Will come down. Yeah, like oh. the dove, but uh eagle. All right. I like that. <laughs> An actual eagle. That's pretty good. And yours we'll, seems like it's we'll probably up. more likely than mine. I mean, Tommy, can I ask I'll, you a quick question? It's the middle of winter. All right. Uh, before anyway, you get yeah. into the next thing. Uh-huh. You broke your nose. Uh, yeah, I did. Okay, because I'm looking guess. straight okay, right, at you right, right. right now. This and is your fun. nose looks like it's... This is fun. How many more times... More crooked than I ever noticed it before. Yeah. You got to look at it close. But how many times do you think that my nose has been broken? Now, that should give you a hint. More than once... How many times do you think it's been so broken? So when it was broken the first time, did it break in such a way that it was like uh, super wonky? Like it was obvious that it was bending one way and they had to fix it? Or did you just break it and then you broke it again? Because it looks... No, no, no. It had to be fixed. Yeah, it okay. had to be Because it looks sort of straight. So I was kind of go for it. You've done it twice and it got knocked Once, one direction and twice. then it came back. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. didn't... The second time didn't yeah. come all the way back. Yeah. Which is what it looks like. Yeah. It looks like it's... It's been pushed to the side yeah, and then brought back a little bit. Mm. How many times? Three. I'm choosing three. Yeah. Over 10. What? Over 10 times. <laughs> I used to, so I, I'm a wrestler. I don't know if anyone knows that. I uh, would shoot with my face first. Shooting is, you know, a takedown. And very often I would hit hips, uh, sternums, hard shoulders heads and blood everywhere because you're uh yeah yeah you know what and it, it stops hurting as much after the first couple honestly it does um yeah can you dislocate it now i wouldn't want to just to freak people out <laughs> yeah, no it's no it's cartilage so, has it you know. done has this has has this over 10 breakages has that done irreparable damage to the cartilage i'm, I'm sure there could be some surgery i just you know have never you ever, thought about do you it breathe improperly at night Probably. That's why I snore. Yeah. Kelly. Man, if I could do some. Yeah. My wife. I'm. Yeah. God bless her. Because I, yeah, I snore a little bit. Sometimes, so, it, some nights is worse than others, you know, but whatever. What's the worst breakage of your nose? Describe what the worst mm. one. Um, I, <laughs> I was in a, the, it was, it wasn't even wrestling. I was, uh, <laughs> I was in, um, I was in the locker room and I was being a goofball. And I was about to run into the showers and uh, I turned around and started running without realizing where I was. And I hit the edge of the doorway into the showers, which was concrete. And I just absolutely, my nose was sideways. Um, so 
That was a great one. Yeah. Were you, are you drunk or something? No, I was just, I was after gym class and I'm like, I think I like screamed something like I'm going to the shower, like a nose. goofball, you know? And I turned around and I was, so I broke my nose as well. You did. I did. I can't tell I that. I had a rhinoplasty is. afterwards, which is apparently uh is that where they go in and they go in and they fix it. Yeah. I, you can't even tell. I know. Uh, I did it playing ultimate frisbee. Oh, perfect! I went up for a catch. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I climbed the golden ladder, man. I was up yeah. there pretty high, and I came back. To, at least in your memory, you know, you think oh, to yourself, yeah. "Dude, I must have been up yeah. easily ten feet." Yeah, easily. Uh, and I came down, and I hit my nose on this short girl's head. Oh, she had just decided that she was going to park right in front of me. Yep, and stand there. And I came down, and boom, right on top of her head. Mm. It was in New Zealand. And I remember falling to the ground, shaking, because it hurt so bad, and a blood just streaming out of my nose. Yeah. And I do remember the New Zealanders. New Kiwis are all about rugby, so they break their noses all the time. And I, I, uh, it's a phrase in New Zealand called a whinger. A whinger is somebody who is like complaining for no good reason. You're you're whining. And uh, I remember laying there, uh, face face on the ground, blood seeping out of my nose, shaking. And one of the Kiwi guys comes over and goes, "Get up, you winja." <laughs> that was it. Broken nose is not not a not an acceptable not an acceptable form. It. Yeah. yeah. Did they? Did it break sideways? Yeah. Yeah. Or in? No, it broke sideways, and then they had to put these two big blue things up my nose to yep. stabilize it. And then weeks later, after they did the surgery, weeks later, they pulled those two big blue things out of my face, and they were huge. I had, I, in my, I had no idea that you had that much space up there in the old cranium. In the, up there in the old. Yeah. So, well, some people don't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, this has been uh, Nose Breakages brought yeah. to you. Brought to you. Everything sports related. Brought to you by the uh, Conversations with Jeff Bucknam podcast. Uh, but we're going to <laughs> go. We're going to talk to a guy who I don't think broke his nose. Ken, we're going to find it? out. No, Kenny's going to come here in a Ken, minute. Yep, Ken uh, Franzis, who's a member of our church. You guys are going to have a conversation because everyone has a story, and we are going to get into it right now. Let's go. So I'm sitting here with Kenny Franzese. Kenny, you are from Chicago? I am. Yep. Born in Chicago, but raised out in Barrington. Oh, I live yeah. in Barrington. I know. I we lived there too. I never escaped. I tried to get out, but they kept coming back. Yeah. If you like, did you always live in the village of Barrington? Or did you live just usually in the area around it? We were out north of it, northwest of oh, okay. uh, off of Cuba Road. Yeah. So I grew up there yeah. and then my wife and I lived out in West Dundee for Number of years and then move back. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like you even more now. Um. So Kenny, you uh, where where'd you grow? You, so you grew up in the town of Barrington, then in yep. the northwest corner there. You have family. We did. Yeah. So I'm one of thirteen kids. What? You yeah. are not. Yeah. I'm the uh, well, eight boys, five girls. So I'm the youngest of the boys. Wow. So you can imagine. Um, you remember that life cereal commercial where they're like, let's get Mikey to try it. I think yeah. that's what I think that was commercial. You? So they were always like, let's get Kenny to try it. He'll try anything. <laughs> so I was, I was a guinea pig for many years. Yes. Where I, are you in the overall number? 12 of 13. Okay. So yeah. you just, just little sister. Just one little sister. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, so we, yeah. So we grew up uh, there. I lived in Florida for three years. My dad had like a midlife, took a midlife sabbatical, moved everybody to Florida. But then we moved back. Where in Florida? Uh, we were in Coral Gables. Yeah, I wouldn't know yeah, what that is. But, but, but you remember it. Yeah, I, I do remember it. And when I came back, I was in second grade, too. It's just when you start to remember, you mm -hmm. know, at that about that age. But growing up in Barrington, it was, Barrington was not then like it is today. I mean, it was very rural. You could just pretty much do anything, ride your mini bikes anywhere. Whatever you did, if a cop pulled you over, he'd be like, what are you doing, knucklehead? Go home. Yeah. I mean, there was just, you could, it was just great. Yeah. So, so kind of farming, I imagine, yeah. northwest of Barrington. Yeah. Wow, that's great. That's uh, 
does most pe- do most people know that you have thirteen or twelve siblings? Is that that seems like one of the kind of thing that you would write down in like two truths and a lie. Very true. Yeah. So yeah, my friends certainly do. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Um, how much older is your oldest sibling than you? Um, oldest to youngest, there's about a twenty year gap. So I would so about. Uh, let me think about this. Yeah, he's about sixteen years older than me. Okay. Yeah. We've lost a couple to accidents. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. But, um, so you guys still mean family reunions and stuff must be enormous. Uh, they are. Yes, they are. I mean, you know, there was that show, remember that show eight is enough. I yeah. didn't go on dating myself, but you yeah. show. well, I was, we were going to make a show 12 is too many because you know, 13 <laughs> right. is definitely too right. many, but, uh, so. All right. Now I'm going to, I'm going to give you a test. All right. Oh, oh. You're going to name off all of your siblings in order. Go. Patty, Jimmy, Donnie, Debbie, Bobby, Ricky, Nikki, Mikey, Marge, Lori, Billy, Kenny, Mary, Pat. <laughs> yeah, I think it. I think back then they just they trained you like you had to do that as a rite of passage. Right. And if you couldn't do it, then you weren't you know allowed to be part of the family, or they wouldn't introduce you to your parents after you were like five or six years old. So yeah. I learned it young. So you're a church, you're a church going guy. I'm assuming your family's Catholic. Affirmative because yes. of the yeah. size of the family. Yes. It was either that right. or Mormon. Yeah, it was kind of normal though. Back when we went to Barrington High School or went to Great, I went to St. Anne's in Barrington. Yeah, and then Barrington High School. Uh, but when you were one of thirteen kids, they were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, it's a little big, but big deal." Because everybody, like, how many kids do you have? Oh, we're a part of seven. Five. Five was like not many. Right. It was seven, eight, ten. So you're like 13, you're like, big deal. I mean, it just, it wasn't then like it is today. Probably because it was affordable then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, people have to, you have to get multiple incomes and all that kind of thing. It's harder to, what, did your mom work? My mom did not work. Yeah. yeah. She was at home right. with you guys. She just played zone defense. Um, with, and by, you know, yeah, work. Some help. By yeah. work, we mean outside the home because. Right. exactly. 13 children is more than work. Thank you. It definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> Very much. So, uh, did you go to uh, high, high school, Barrington High School? You play sports or anything? Or are you yeah. into so theater? I was, or? Um, nope, I didn't. I was uh, freshman year. I did wrestling and gymnastics. So, like Tommy, I was a wrestler, but I never broke my nose doing uh, wrestling. I guess I never led with my head. And then, um, were you good at it? I was okay. I was okay. I, you know, the coach and I weren't like the best of friends. He had he played favorites, and I wasn't one of his favorites. So, okay. but it was okay. It was great way to stay in shape and met a lot of good friends. And so did that freshman year and did gymnastics. And then, um, I, I couldn't continue on in gymnastics due to some problems with my elbows, but I, so I stayed in wrestling sophomore year. And I think I did wrestling because my brother, my older brother, Billy, who I'm closest to in age mm-hmm. was doing it. So I'm like, you know, you emulate your brother, you want to yeah. be like your brother. So I'm like, well, he's doing it. I'm going to do it. So I did it. And then when, and Billy was a year older than me. So he ended up getting out of it his senior year. Right. So I'm like, well, Billy's out of it. I don't really like the coach, so I'm out of it. And yeah. so we just started throwing parties. Okay. And we were kind of one of the big, you know, party throwers of the, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, like I said, what went on back then couldn't go on these days. I mean, right. Did mom and dad know about the parties? Oh, no, of course no, not, they Jeff, didn't. Of course no. not. Well, we, I don't know. Maybe yeah. some parents. No, we just, we waited till they went out of town yeah. and they went out of town a lot. And then we would throw these, I mean, we'd have two, 300 kids come wow. over. We do a big bonfire. We yeah. would, you know, we, we went through, I think in the first party we had, we had one keg of beer. And then in the last party we had my senior year, we went through 13 and a half oh, kegs. My word. That's and a these lot. are high school kids. Yeah. The age was just had gone to 21. Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, yeah I always have my, one of my older brothers come home from college and then they would be the mm-hmm. front door. If anybody stopped by, right. They'd be like, oh no, it's a college party. You can go on. And the police would be like, all right, just, can you tell the band to stop playing? I'm like, okay, sure. No problem. And they, they, they would never come in. And you know, now it's just not like You had that. a live band. Oh yeah. We would have sometimes a couple bands. Oh my word. Yeah. They yeah. were, uh, you're throwing Lollapalooza in there. Well, not, yeah, not quite that scale, but, uh, yes, something like that. So when you were a gymnast, what was your best gymnastics thing? You floor exercise or do you do the rings or anything? Yeah. I was wondering people, yeah. the rings are crazy. Yeah. I, I did the rings. I did the bars. I mean, could I, you do that thing where you hold the rings straight the bars, out from yeah, your body? Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I was in pretty good shape, but oh. I couldn't do that now. <laughs> well, you don't think you could do it now. Right. You just haven't tried. Right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Although I, a lot of people pay good money to see you try that, Kenny. So big partier. Well, we were. You know, what was interesting is um, after having that many kids, my parents uh, ended up 
getting divorced when I went through high school. And that's kind of why we had so much freedom because my dad was out of the house. So, you know, when, you know, your parents are away, then, you know, and and they, my mom was around the first part of it, but then um, we just had more and more freedom. So kind of anything would go. But what was interesting is after the divorce, when I was going into college, my mom ended up having this incredible faith that that she worked really hard to share with all the kids. And so that was really, you know, we grew up Catholic, so Mm -hmm. you knew Jesus, you believed in Jesus, you know, and, but I don't, I I had, you don't, you know, that old saying, you only, you don't know what you don't know. So you think that, okay, well then my, my um, relationship, if you will, with God or my beliefs and you think you're doing all the right stuff, but, Mm -hmm. but you realize that, you know, your perspective is very limited. Yeah. So where'd you go to college? I went to Loyola, downtown Chicago. So you like really committed Catholic family or at least culturally. So, uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. You know, my, my dad was more like, Hey, you kids are all going to church. Yeah. Let me know how it was. (laughs) He he generally wouldn't go with us. So then we would, we would go and one of somebody had to pick up the bulletin before we went to Dunkin' Donuts Mm -hmm. or whatever the donut shop was. And so we were, um, you know, we'd, we'd cut some corners when we could. Yeah. But, uh, but my mom for sure, you know, and she wanted us to all have a very good faith based education. So then we went to Barrington High School. I'd say about half the kids went to Carmel, which is a Catholic high school in Mundelein. And then the other half ended up, you know, my dad figured out like, well, wait a minute, all the stuff, you know, that's going on there. You might as well just go to Barrington High School. So we, okay. since we were at the tail end, we went to, to Barrington. Did most of your friends at Barrington High School go to church too? Or is there a lot of people who were not involved? I'm just wondering. Yeah, I'd in say, that you age. know, it was pretty diverse. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty diverse. I mean, you know, I, I would say adventure guests that the majority were Catholic, but I couldn't tell you for yeah. sure. Yeah. So... Okay, Loyola. What did you what, what, what did you graduate in? Well, so a little story on that. So I I never, um, well, I, I always wanted to be a pilot. So when my dad grew up, when I grew up, my dad was pilot. Oh, so like for whom? Just for himself. He just okay, for yeah. fun. So he would when he would go flying, he'd be like, "Hey, who wants to go?" And everybody would run for their rooms, like they didn't want to go. And I was the one who ran out in the hall and raised my hand and said, "I'll go." So I I really enjoyed it. And so my whole plan was to go into the military to be a pilot. Oh, then when, and you know, so I wanted to do that. Well, then that's where my parents were getting, going through the divorce in high school. And so, you know, you're a young, impressionable 17 year old. So my dad was like, yeah, you don't want to do the military thing. And we're like, oh, I don't. Okay. So he's like, no, go to this Embry-Riddle yeah. Aeronautical College. He goes, go there. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I signed up. I meet my roommate over the phone. I ordered all my books and then things got kind of bad between my mom and dad. And then I ended up having to falling out with my dad. So there went the whole flight plan. Wow. So knowing was there, and I had a very, very close, always had a really great relationship with my mom. And I knew that she needed help. And we had my younger sister. So I was like, okay, I can't go that far. So Loyola ended up being the option. And then I switched everything from going uh, into flight school to uh, going business. So that's what I did. So I was a finance uh, guy at Loyola and then got into corporate real estate. Before we get into what kind of plane did you guys fly when you were with your dad? Was it a like little Cessna guy? Yeah, it was a, it was a twin engine Cessna. Okay. Yep. Did you ever learn? I mean, I'm assuming that you kind of learned a little bit on how to fly with him. Uh, I did, but I did not uh, end up getting my pilot's license until I was, uh, had gone through, you know, I was out of college a couple of years. Okay. I had to save a couple of shekels. So it was still a thing though that was on your heart. It to was. Keep, to keep doing it. Yep. Oh, yep. that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I still love it. Still do it. Okay. Yeah. What do you fly? Uh, well, it's right now we have an antique uh, airplane. I have a Piper Cub. Okay. So it's a 1939. It's like a little Harley in the sky. You just get up and you yeah, rip yeah. it around the, yeah. the area for a little bit. You, th- that's not a plane for going far. But, you know, the if I need a plane to go further, then uh, I, they've got a flight club or a buddy. Okay. I'm going to ask you. Well, let me ask you now. What's the most, uh, what's the furthest that you've flown on one trip? By on your own, do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, that I even though you're double, even though you're like stopping to get gas and stuff. Well, like, how's the? Um, so I we I've flown to Florida. We've flown to um, Canada. So, but most of the stuff that did they shoot you down up there? They no, a, no, but I had to fly low under the. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so. But it, but it's pretty easy, you know. Canada, you can fly on one tank of gas. You know, um, Florida, we stopped and got gas. But uh, depending upon the wind, sometimes you can make it. So 
uh, those planes that you fly, none of them you're gonna you're not flying them to California. You could, but but you're generally not, or it doesn't make economic sense to do that. Right. Right. You know. And do you have to be trained at different? I'm assuming you have to be trained at different levels on different aircraft, or does your pilot license work pretty much across the board? The former, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So you end up when you get your pilot's license, you end up getting what they call single engine land. So you can you can fly that airplane, yeah. and then if you go to different airplanes, then you get either different ratings, you know, but you get checked out on those airplanes. Right. So you ever wanted to get checked out at the, even the furthest, what's the biggest plane you've flown? Uh, multi-engine okay. instrument. Yeah. All so right. jet? Yeah. Nope. No jets. Okay. I mean, if, would yeah. you like to fly jet? Uh, I would, but I need a bigger checkbook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or we just find one. Right. Like F-16s yes. or whatever. They I must would. be, they're lying around. Yeah, they are. Yes. Have you seen Tom Tom Cruise Maverick yeah, or whatever it is? Yeah, see, he just yeah, found one, right? I didn't see that was. I know I wanted to do that, but Take next it, life, something like that. Maybe God will let me fly one in heaven. So, how did you get involved in so so finance, and then real estate? Was that a chosen, like when you were going through your finance stuff, were you thinking to yourself, "No, I want to be involved in real estate." Um, well, that's a really great question. So, no, um, I was always good at math, so I just naturally went into finance and kind of business management, that sort of thing. Um, but when I got out, I was thinking about like, what am I going to do? And I didn't want like a nine to five job. So I wanted something that I could go as far as I pushed myself. Yeah. So when you think about it, then you're like, well, stock brokerage, I don't know, then real estate brokerage. And I thought, well, stock brokerage, and especially living in Barrington, you know, you saw some people who did that yeah. and they lived really yes, they well. And then then after a while, they didn't live right. They had to sell the house and the dog and the right. car because, you know, whatever. So I wasn't, um, I was a little bit more risk adverse. So when I thought about real estate, I'm like, well, if you have a bad day in real estate, you just don't make any money, yeah. but you don't lose money. Yeah. So anyway, I'm joking, but I gravitated into real estate and I had one of my older brothers who was just starting to do industrial real estate mm. and commercial real estate. So he and I were talking a lot. So I ended up uh, gravitating into that. It was always commercial, though. It was. You didn't at some point think to yourself, I'm going to become the residential guy and sell houses and things? Nope, never did residential. No, okay. it's always, yes, corporate and institutional okay. real estate. So Why? We, um, I, I always felt that the residential was more of a subjective or emotional yeah. transaction sell. You know, you have people that are looking at it a different way. Yeah. What I always liked is on the corporate institutional side, it's very objective. It is, it's the numbers, it's, you know, functionality. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's much more of a, I don't know if I'd say predictable, but it's, it's much more of a manageable kind of, um, event or business. Yeah. So I, I just liked it for that. I just, you know, nothing against yeah. realtors. Um, I, it just wasn't my, um, thing. what is the state of corporate real estate in Chicago? Pretty available. I'm assuming. Uh, the market. So I've been doing it for 35 years. It, right? Yes, exactly. So I remember when I got into the business and I had people be like, what do you do? And I do, oh, I do, you know, corporate and institutional real estate. They're like, oh, really? Like office buildings? I go, no, like more industrial buildings. And they were like, you do those dirty warehouses? Why would you ever want to do it? Well, really then when Amazon started taking off and then everybody, you know, they'd see pictures of yeah. these Amazon warehouses. And that's what I do is really you know, high cube, modern distribution centers. And yeah. we do production plants and manufacturing plants as well. But it, it's all, you know, American manufacturing has come such a long way. It's most of the time, it's not a dirty business. Mm. So, um, but when, but so I always got into that, right? In, um, in like that, but when people then started to really see what's going on, you know, and, and with the Amazon warehouse, and they're like, oh, I know you do not. And suddenly became cool. Yeah, totally. Right? But uh, COVID did change the business dramatically. I mean, when COVID hit in March of 2020, we probably took three months off, you mm -hmm. know, and the media was just selling fear. So you're mm -hmm. like, oh boy, what's going to happen? Well, after that, because of all of the switch from retailing to e-tailing, yeah. you know, the, everything started moving more through warehouses, yeah. but um, there were, there were probably four or five different catalysts, right. That um, contributed to our business just taking off. I mean, I'll give you one example, like Kimberly Clark. Yeah. So that's remember during COVID there was big shortage of paper towels yeah. and toilet paper and paper plates. So like Kimberly Clark prior to COVID maintained a three month supply in their warehouse, in their warehouses across the country. Mm. Okay. Well they ran out too fast. They realized, well, that's not enough. So they decided to double it to six months. 
Well, if they're going to carry six months instead of three months, they need to double their footprint. So that's that was yeah, another they, example. Yeah, we're starting to see more reshoring where companies are bringing things back to the United States mm-hmm. or they're in, and also just building up inventory. So COVID brought a lot of challenges, but COVID um, really was a boon to our segment of the business. Yeah, it was very warehouse. difficult on retails, very difficult on office, but the warehouses, it just took off and really hasn't stopped. So we, at the moment, um, it, it is very challenging because... Uh, rents have gone up tremendously for warehouse space for warehouse space. Yeah. Not, not just due to um, a lot of it was the cost of inflation, mm-hmm. right? And now interest rates have gone up. So it, it's still, there's still high demand. Um, we're short on supply at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to stay short on supply um, because a lot of new things, a lot of um, developers need capital yeah. to keep developing. So when capital went up a lot and banks got a lot stingier, uh, a lot of new project originations have been put on hold yeah. for 2023. So that'll affect us in a year from now. You know what? We generally right. lag, but um, you know, but still a good business. I think, I mean, we're very, very bullish on this segment of the market for the long haul. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense, right? Especially with the, like you said, e-tailers. So like the fact that you're going to, everything's being shipped now. Right. And it's got to have places to stay. I have yeah. a good friend who's in Canada and he owns a warehouse and he, I mean, he just happened to own it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he was getting, you know, he was just storing people's stuff all the time. And he makes a really great living just storing extra stuff right. for some business. They drop it off and two weeks later pick it up. He said it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> you just have to find the space. I, I know, I know. It, yeah. And it's, yeah, you, you always think that, you know, you feel like, oh my gosh, the prices are so high, yeah. they can't go any higher. And then all of a sudden they go dramatically higher. Right. So right. those of you out there have got a large house, maybe you can store Kimberly Clark toilet paper somewhere. Right. Kids are out of the room, yeah. you know? They can use that room, stock toilet paper. That's- you attend a uh, non-Catholic church now. That's right. So somewhere along the line, you decided to not continue to attend a Catholic church. How did that come to be? Well, that's a really great question. So my younger sister um, had, had attended Harvest in Elgin, and their daughter went through Harvest Christian Academy. Oh. And so when we were getting together for an event or a holiday, and the married said, hey, we're going to do... Um, you know, we'll go to church, whoever wants to go to, you know, service first, then we'll, let's do that. And then we'll meet after. So, so Julie and I, and our girls were exposed to Harvest Elgin a few times, but, um, but so we, we knew Harvest. And then what really happened is our, our kids went to, um, Holy Family Christian Academy in Inverness and it was a great academy. They, they got a, a great education. And then, um, when they got out of it, you know how kids are, right? So they, they didn't, they were like, well, we, we want to change. We want to go to a, look at a different, you know, mm-hmm. uh, place to, to go to church. So we started looking. So we went to Willow a couple of times. We went to Harvest a few times, really hadn't made any decisions. Mm-hmm. And then um, due to some events that happened in 2018, you know, that you and I have talked about before, the, the plane crash. Um, I'm going to ask you about it. In a yeah. So um, that was really the catalyst that when we came to, uh, when we started coming to Harvest. And so, and I, and I had some familiarity with it, but um, for us, it was a real eye-opener. You know, we we love it because, you know, again, as I mentioned before, you, you only know what, you don't know what you don't know. You only know what you know. And when you, nothing against Catholicism, but, you know, you read just kind of a snippet of the Bible. I, I had never gone through the entire Bible. Mm. And I've read the Bible, my wife's read the Bible multiple times, and it just really opens your eyes. And I just love getting into the word and going through an entire book and really understanding what that was all about and how it related. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's very, it's good food for the soul. Yeah. You know, it's very fulfilling. So how long have you been at Harvest? Since 2018. Okay. So sorry, my bad. You're good years. at math. Five years. Like five years. <laughs> yeah, give Absolutely. Or take. yeah. You were in a plane crash. I was. I mean, a lot of people who are listening to this, you, you they did a um, "Got at Work" video about you here at, at Harvest. Um, some people have seen that; others will never not know that at all. So, uh, were you you were flying it alone, or were you flying with other people? Or uh, I was flying it with one other buddy. So it was a um, World War II torpedo bomber. Oh, so it was used extensively in the Pacific Theater. So it was an aircraft carrier based 
airplane, uh, bomber. And Where so, were you flying? So we were flying it from L.A. Mm-hmm. back to Chicago. Ooh. So there was a buddy of mine uh, that had purchased it. And so he asked me, he's like, hey, Kenny, will you help me fly it back? And because it didn't have autopilot. Right. So, you know, of course, I'm like, oh, yeah. That sounds great. That, yeah, it yeah. sounds fantastic. I mean, I'd love to do it. So the, the plane was fully restored. I mean, it was like a museum piece. I mean, absolutely beautiful. So we um, we said, all right, great, we'll uh, we'll do that. And so about two months before we went, we got together, we did the whole flight plan. You know, there's a software program you use to, mm-hmm. to map the whole thing out. So we, yep, okay, that's how we're going to do it, synced everything up. And, uh, and then he said, hey, Kenny, you got to buy this uh, flight suit. And I'm like, well, why? And he goes, well, we got these patches that, you know, match the airplane. Mm. It's all period correct. And I'm like, oh, oh I get it. He says, we can't look like this. You yeah. know, street clothes. And I go, oh, I, I get it because we got to look cool. <laughs> and uh, so he goes, whatever, just get the flight suit. So I'm like, okay. So we get the flight suit. And then about two weeks before we were going, he said, hey, I, he texts me a link to a YouTube video on how to operate a parachute. And he goes, I bought these World War II parachutes. And I said, really, Ron, you bought these ratty old parachutes just so we look cool? And he goes, no, no, they're, they're brand new parachutes, but we actually need them because you, you sit on the actual parachute. It is your seat cushion because yeah. there's, no, there's no cushion on those seats in that airplane. So I remember watching the video on how to operate that parachute thinking, well, this is a complete waste of time. Mm. Well, when we took off out of... Uh, Zamperini Field in Torrance, California. We, yeah, well, yeah. And so uh, we were going to fly legs of about three hours, mm-hmm. uh, three and a half hours. Then we'd land, get gas, and, you know, do it again. And we were going to, the first day we were planning on getting to uh, Kansas to see a son who was at University of Kansas. Mm-hmm. Well, we did the first leg. Everything went great. We landed. We got gas. And then we took off. Well, we were about an hour into the second leg and suffered catastrophic engine failure over the absolute most inhospitable train of the entire trip. You know, we were right by Mount Baldy. So this is a 3.3 million acre complete wilderness. Yeah. And, you know, at the time that happened, Ron had the controls, but we lost all forward thrust. So that airplane is is super heavy so you slow down immediately uh. and then when you slow down immediately you got to start going downhill so yeah. you don't you know lose too much airspeed install the airplane so uh, i mean it became a very stressful environment i mean the um, when the engine failed there was a tremendous amount of hydraulic fluid that went all over the engine that sent a massive amount of smoke through the instrument panel and into the cockpit so and then both of us had to open up our canopies, and it got extremely loud. Yeah, and, I mean, you couldn't even communicate. Right, I mean, because you, you of know, the wind. Right, and you're you're you know basically trying to scream at each other to see like what's going on, and uh, what's going through your mind at that time, or was it? I mean, you look back on it, and I'm assuming that you're trying to sort the things out. But did it ever occur to you that, like, what was happening? Yeah. Like, what could happen here? Oh yeah, you you definitely. You don't train for engine failure in that kind of an airplane, but but you train for engine failure, right? So it's all about staying composed, don't panic, mm-hmm. look at your options, pick the best one. Well, so when you start working through your ABCs, you you look out the window, right? You I mean you maintain your airspeed, you look out to pick the best field. Mm-hmm. Well, there is no best field. No, in fact, there's no field at all. There's just really dense woods. Yep. So you you kind of know instantaneously that you are not staying with that airplane and flying it to the ground. So I I just knew within a few seconds, like, you know, you look left, you look right, you look behind you. And these are, this is a mountainous terrain, but, but it's not like Colorado where you can just suddenly fly off the side of the mountain and you have a bunch of altitude, you know, Arizona's got very slow rising mountains. So I I knew instantaneously we had to step off. And uh, so I step out onto the wing and, uh, you know, look and position myself to, to how I'm going to get off that airplane because the tail in this airplane is massive. Mm. And in fact, H.W. Bush flew a TBM Avenger. He yeah. had to bail out. He hit the tail. Oh, so I didn't know that at the time, but it, the tail just it gets your attention. So anyway, I kind of thought how I'm going to do this, and I, I, you know, that you said what's going through my mind. So the, for the first, I'm going to say, thirty seconds. 
you know, you're very calm and collected and you're just figuring it out. When you get out of the wing, you're like, okay, I'm definitely past my pay grade. Yeah, and you, I would you, think so. Yes. And you turn around <laughs> and you're just like, holy cow. And that is when I said my first prayer. Mm-hmm. And I, and so after I said that it was relatively short prayer, but it was, what was amazing is after I said that prayer, I looked down in the side of the fuselage, there's a handle built in. It's what you use to get up onto the wing. And I instantaneously had a plan. I just knew exactly what to do. He, God gave me that. So I, I sat down on the wing, slid to the trailing edge of it, hung my legs off. I'm hanging onto this handle. And then that's basically the way I exited the airplane and it, it worked fine. I ended up getting, uh, when I, when I landed because the forest was so dense, the parachute got stuck in the trees. So I was hanging up. Well, when I went to climb down the tree that I was on collapsed. No. So unlike Tommy, I didn't break my nose, but I broke, basically broke my face. I, I shattered the entire left side of my face. I shattered my left orbital, broke the bone inside my eye socket, um, you know, hurt my right hand and a couple other things. You, you know, pass out at all? I did. Yeah, I blacked out when I hit. And then I remember waking up. It was a beautiful day. It was probably 70, 75 degrees, sunny, absolutely gorgeous. And I remember waking up and you do a complete reboot and you, you know, I'm looking, I'm, I'm laying on my back mm. and I'm looking up and I'm like, hmm, wow, pretty interesting, beautiful day. <laughs> yes. Like, why am I laying on the forest floor? And then I heard something and I look up and my parachute's up in the tree. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. I'm like, there was a, hmm, we jumped out. And, and, you know, your mind does this really slow reboot. Yeah. And then when you fully come to your senses and you sit up and you realize what the heck just happened, you're very scared. Yeah. You're, you're very, very, very well, it scared. It starts to occur where you are and how. hundred percent. Yeah. And you, you, you realize, and, and that's when, you know, all you think about are all the things that you took for granted. Yeah. Your wife, your two daughters, you yeah. know, right. And I just... You know, and I looked at it and what was interesting, I, I've got to pause the, the story for a second because, you know, I mentioned to you earlier, my mom had a strong faith. Yeah. So she, as I went through college, was just always trying to teach, you know, this is what's important. This mm. is what life's all about. This is the role that Jesus plays in your life. And my mom and I had a great relationship, but I remember, you know, I'd always be like, mom, she's great, but she's a little off the deep end on that religion thing. Yeah. Right. But I look back now and I see that she was just, absolutely spot on with everything she said. Mm-hmm. The other message that I got too is everything that she said, I, I listened to her. Even mm-hmm. though I wasn't ready for it at the time, it, it definitely went in, right? And I remember one time that, you know, we were we always had mini bikes and motorcycles and, you know, stuff, right? Yeah. So we'd go run out of talent and hurt yourself and you get banged up. And, um, and I, I had a few of those incidents and accidents, right? And some of them really could have been serious, um, should have been serious. I mean, I was on, Julie and I were on a motorcycle one time and car pulled out right in front of us. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, should have been killed, okay? Mm. And there was something that happened with that motorcycle accident too that was a total gift from God. Well, back at that time, you know, when you're going through your your teens and your twenties, you know, you, you think it's you. Right. Yeah. And I remember one time I was bragging to my mom and I said, Oh, you know, I remember this happened and that happened and, you know, look how good I am and you know, whatever. Yeah. And she just stopped me in my tracks and she said, you know, Kenny, I love you. She said, but that's not correct. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, she said, you're, you're not that good. <laughs> and, and that wasn't luck. Right. And she's like, that, that was God. Yeah. being there for you. And she said, mark my word. She goes, he'll have something for you to do someday. And I was like, what? You know, and I, I just wasn't ready for that. Yeah. So, you know, you, you fast forward now and you get up on the forest floor in your whole life and you're like, really, this is how I'm going to die. Right. And because we, we were miles could you see? I mean, you you broke your orbital. Yeah, yeah, you could. Uh, I, I could see. You know, I didn't. The vision in that left eye was not mm-hmm. was not impacted. Um, so, and did there, you have anything on you that would signal your location or anything? Oh, I had a cell phone with no cell service, and I <laughs> did have a big pen. Okay. And all my co- my pilot buddies, they give me grief. They go, "Hey, you know that flight suit you were wearing?" I go, "Yeah." <laughs> you know, with all those pockets. And I go, "Yeah." And they're like, "We're well, supposed to put stuff." In. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like a personal locator beacon, like yeah. a sat phone, like food, water. So I, I I definitely learned my lesson in that in that regard. But, um, 
you know, when that, when that happened and you have that moment of truth in your life, um, I just, I got down on my knees and I prayed and I, and I asked God, I said, I need you to get me through this. I need more time with our girls. I need, you know, you just show up. Right. And so here's me and, and I negotiate for a living, yeah. right? That, that's what I do. So it, it's kind of like when you're negotiating with someone and they know that you have absolutely no leverage, yeah. right? And I know that they know that I have absolutely no leverage, but, but you ask anyway. Mm. And so I, I said, I go, if you will get me through this, if you'll get me safely back home, then I'm all done running. Because for my whole life, it, it's not that I didn't believe in him, but I, I never surrendered to him. Right. You know, you would always be like, well, I got this and I'm in control and, and I'm the one who's making this stuff happen. You, you, you never will mentally come to that conclusion that it, it's not me. Right. And, and I got there. And so I, so I, I'm quote unquote made that deal. Right. Well, God honored his side of the deal. Mm. And, and I told him the only thing I had to give back to him is I said, if you get me through, then I will give you, I'll surrender to you. And I said, and I will freely share my testimony, which is a testimony to the power of prayer. Mm. Because and, and I'm telling you, Jeff, I prayed my way through that entire ordeal. Mm. And the things that he showed up every single time, every specific prayer request that I had. So I, the first prayer was to get off the wing. Mm. The second prayer, right? So I was just praying that you got to get me back. So, right. um, but the third prayer was to find a place to hide. Mm. He gave me a really good place to hide. The third thing was the next morning was to find a path out. You were hiding because you were afraid. I mean, you, the animals and the other things that were in the forest. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, there's, there's gray wolves up there. I mean, wolves will generally run off. Bears will run off. But there, there are other things. Um, you know, there are cats up there, bobcats up yeah. there. I mean, you know, there's there, there's plenty of stuff that if you got them in the wrong, at the wrong time and they're hungry or, right. and, and keep in mind when everything happened, I was bleeding pretty profusely. Yeah. And so, and you're spitting blood because all of your sinuses now are goofed up, right? And yeah. and so that's not a really good scent to leave out in the, no. in the woods. So, um so I hunkered down, but yeah, so you make it through and it's just like every prayer yeah. along the way answered, answered. So the next morning I'm walking and I, I find, you know, praying for this path. And so I get this, I walk into this huge clearing and I'm like, what the heck? Mm. So, uh, the, the, that clearing wasn't a clearing. It was, it was a fire path, right? Where they could chop the forest down right. so that there's a forest fire. It, it will hopefully stop at that point. So when I realized that I had that path, I followed that path. Well, yeah. that path led to a gravel road. I come out on this gravel Ugh. road. I look right, nothing. I look left. I'm like, what's that? Hundred yards up the road is Ron laying there on the side of the road. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I mean, finding him was one in a million. Yeah. I mean, I, and I feel bad. I mean, you know, they're like, "Oh, were you praying for that too?" I'm like, "I really wasn't. That was a total bonus." Yeah. Right. So then I ended up walking. Ron couldn't really walk. He was um, hurt pretty bad. So I said, well, I'm going to walk ahead and I'll, I'll just go till I find help, but I'll go till 2 PM. If I don't find anybody at two, I'll turn around and I'll get you and we'll, we'll hunker down together tonight. Well, as and we, I didn't know at the time, but we had landed on an Apache Indian reservation. Mm. So I'm walking out a couple miles and the, you know, there's things that happen along the way that just make the hair in the back of your neck stand up, right? You're just, you get the chills from head to toe. And one of them is, you know, you're sitting there, you're walking, it's a beautiful day. And, but you start getting this feeling, you're like, well, you're not out of the woods yet. Mm. Right. So I started praying. I'm like, you need to show me something man-made. Mm. Now imagine just that statement. Yeah. God's like, wait a minute. I got you down. I did this. I did that. Right. I did that. And you're telling me I got to do one more thing. <laughs> right. That's the doubting Thomas. Yeah, totally. So I'm like, well, you know, you got to show me, I mean, a house, you know, mini bike, uh, something I could, you know, something. Well, I come around the corner, not 20 minutes after saying that prayer. And there's an 18 wheeler staring at me in the face. Oh. And you just, you know, I was like, oh. so I was going to, yeah, what, what was, what was the experience of that? Like how did, what went through your head and your heart and stuff? Was it a euphoria? I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You, you just, I mean, you're just overwhelmed by emotion, yeah. by the palpable presence yeah. of our Lord. I mean, it is, you pray, he's listening, yeah. you know, he, he will show up and, yeah. So he, uh, my mom always said that too. She's like, you know, he's chasing you. He's chasing you. He'll get you someday. He's chasing you. And I, you know, I always just put that to the side and it was just so true. And, and I, I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, you're just, you're overwhelmed 
with that. And I was going to borrow that truck, but I couldn't find any keys. So yeah. I, I kept walking and another, I don't know, a uh, couple miles, I, this truck pickup truck was coming up the mountain and it was a Apache uh, fire crew oh, wow. and they started yelling at me. So I got blood all over my face and, and I lost it, you know, started tears just rolling down my face and, and, and they start yelling at me and I started laughing and I said, well, here's what happened. And their eyes just bugged out of their head. They were like, the guy goes, well, I've been doing this almost 50 years. He goes, you're the only guy to live because wow. there's tons of plane crashes, but everybody dies. And I said, well, my buddy's up the mountain and they both at the same time go, well, we're really sorry. And I said, no, he's alive. We've got to go get him. So Ron was a couple miles behind me. We're bombing up the mountain, right, to go get Ron. And I said, hey, I, you guys got, I saw your truck. And they're like, we don't have a truck. And I go, well, I saw that logging truck. And he, they go, no, it's not our truck. That's a government truck. And he said, um, we're, we're not supposed to be here today. He goes, but we're down two trucks, four crew. So we came to work loafers bench, which mm -hmm. is the mountain range that we went down on. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, when you weren't supposed to be here. And he goes, we're not supposed to be here for a month, month and a half. Oh my word. But God put him on the mountain that day. Yeah, I said, well, where's, how close are we to town? And he goes, okay, so how far are we from white river? And he goes, white river. He goes, we're about 42 miles. So we're still 42 miles from the closest town. Yeah. So he ended up, you know, um, rescuing us. I mean, he did. It was just miracle after miracle after miracle. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't, I mean, it's it's just an amazing story. People always want to hear about the, the you know, an airplane crash. Cool. Let's hear the blood and guts. And yeah. It, it is not a blood and guts. It is a God story. Yeah. Did your wife, I'm assuming she was worried about you or did she, was not, she wasn't expecting to hear from you for a while? So she didn't know that this had happened or? Oh, no. She was very worried. And we have, we've long had an agreement that, you know, if I'm on a motorcycle trip or a snowmobile trip or an airplane, you know, they're all yep. somewhat dangerous. So I, we always just had out of mutual respect, I, whenever I'm done with machines, then I will always call her and say, Hey, we're, we're done. You know, we're at wherever and I'm off the machine yep. and I never called her. And so she's asking the kids, like, have you heard from dad? Like what's going on? So this was, you know, we, we took off on a Sunday. The plane crash was on a Sunday. Um, May 6th. And so on uh, Monday, we walked out, we got rescued on Monday afternoon. So we're driving down the mountain. And um, when I called her, right, and she was very nervous, but then so she had called um, Ron's wife, Ruth, and said, Hey, you know, have you heard from the guys? And Ruth's like, Oh, yeah, they went to Kansas to see Danny, Danny mm -hmm. you know, their son. So Julie's like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, Ron and Ruth didn't do the same thing. I mean, it doesn't, you know, yeah. but, um, so Julie just assumed that, that you made it to that, Kansas. You're right. And so then when I called and I said, Hey, well, we're in Arizona and here's what happened. She was just like, oh, I'm out. yeah, yeah. So it was, it was very, um, so then her and Ruth, so in some ways she was safe from the yeah, yeah. ordeal a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there's just, there's so many like other side miracles. Like when I went, um, you know, I had to have facial reconstruction surgery, right? So the doctor, when he was there, he goes, well, how's the pain? And I go, oh, I go, well, that's a good question. You know, cause we spent like four hours or five hours in, in the Indian hospital in White yeah. River. And so when they came out, he, the doctor goes, all right, Kenny goes, well, we have a helicopter ready for you. I'm like, well, that's kind of nice, but I'm like, I'm just going to drive to the hotel. Yeah, right. <laughs> we did enough flying for the last couple of days. So he goes, well, no, there's a surgical team ready for you in Phoenix. And I go, Why? And he goes, because, you know, you thought you just got a black eye. Yeah. He goes, because, I don't know how to say this to you. He goes, you, you broke your face. And I'm like, really? And he tells me everything that yeah. broke. And I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, well, can I, can I do that in Chicago? And he goes, I go, can I wait? He goes, till like tomorrow? I go, well, no, I'll do it back in Chicago. And he goes, well, I don't think you can do that. Because I'm thinking, if I get surgery done yeah. in Arizona, and then I go back to Chicago, and, and I'm like, how am I doing, doc? The doc's like, well, I don't know what. Yeah, the other yeah. doctor did. And I'm like, I don't want to spend the next, you know, X number of months in, in yeah. Phoenix. So I said, well, I'm going to fly home. And he was really mad, like really mad at me. Yeah. So he goes, well, I'm putting all over your records that I told you, you shouldn't be doing this and everything. I said, mm -hmm. no problem. But I go, can you, um, can you put everything on a disc for me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he goes, yeah, of course. He's a super cool guy. So he, um, I go back to Chicago, Julie, you know, we're dialing for dollars on the, uh, finding a plastic surgeon. Yeah. So we find this one and so really good guy. And, uh, so he's, he's like, you know, they're like 30 days out before you can get an appointment. Yeah. So Julie says, well, no, no, you don't understand. Here's what's going. So we go in there and 
he clears his whole schedule, says, I, I got to get you under the knife fast because it, your bones will set. Right. There's no way they can re-break your face the same way. Yeah. So, um, but he, he asked me, he's like, well, how was the pain? And I said, oh, well, you're the first guy to ask. I said, um, not bad. And he goes, well, on a scale of one to 10, I go, on a scale of one to 10, I go, uh, zero. He goes, no pain. I said, no pain. He said, okay. So after the surgery, this is probably a month after the surgery, I'm talking to him. And I said, hey, um, I, cause I realized I had zero feeling in my face, straight down the center of my nose, yep. center of my lips, over to here, up my entire left side of my face is no feeling. I said, uh, Doc, I've, I've noticed. He goes, yeah, I know. When you said that, I was really nervous because you have an orbital nerve that comes down and it feeds that yep. whole side of your face. And he said, um, I was afraid you severed it. And he said, but when we did the surgery, he said, it was contuted, worst I've ever seen. And he said, but it was hanging on by a thread. <laughs> and I, he said, I will tell you this, Kenny. He said, had that not happened, he said, that pain would have been so bad, it would have been debilitating. He said, you wouldn't have been able to navigate, walk, think. It, you would have just been in unbelievable pain. So God gives me a complete hall pass Isn't from any pain. Yeah. So I said, Is, am I going to get this back? And he goes, I, I don't think so. He said, if you do, it'll be very limited. And, and I would tell you it's probably 80 85% back. Took a couple of years, yeah. but it's probably 85% back, 90% back, let's say. Kenny. It's just to, a to, gift after gift yeah. after gift. You know, it's just amazing. What a great story. And it's really great uh, to see what the Lord's doing in your life now. You've been obviously serving him and doing all sorts of great things. Great to have you part of Harvest. I've been, everyone speaks well of you here. Oh, well, so thanks. Either they don't know you or they right. know you really well. Yes, exactly. So you want to hear the best part of the whole story sure. though? So when I went uh, through this, we were at, we were here and um, Greg Laurie had done a, you know, it was, uh, you know, one of the altar calls. Right. And I went up, I'm like, I'm doing this, right? Yeah. I'm like, I'm all in. This was the yeah. summer of 18. Well, so I'm up there. That's where I met John Smith. Yeah. And so as I'm there at the altar and tears are running down my face, I see somebody comes right next to me and I look over and it's Julie. Oh. It's my wife, Julie. That's and fabulous. you know, it, when she, she just saw the power of the Lord yeah. in what I had gone through and what he did certainly for me, but for us, for our family, she, you know, her faith just, you know, came right alongside and it's just been, you know, just the fact that he moved in her life as powerfully as he did in mine is, it was just cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's a gift. Well, nobody would ever wish a, a plane crash on anyone, but in some ways it's, it was a, a providence of God that brought you here. And so in that sense, we're thankful. As am I. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's just kind of, it's wild because when I was younger and I hear, remember hearing my mom, I would, I would never, I would never be bold for Christ. I would never yeah. share, you know, that. And so God ended up finding a way to give me a testimony. Yeah that I just wouldn't hesitate to share. Yeah, well, I'm super thankful that you're willing to yeah. share it. Yeah. Anyway, so God cool. bless you. Thanks so Thank much you. for being here. Thanks, everybody else, for joining us. We'll catch you next time. All right, thanks.